Stuck between a pandemic and must-pass legislation, the House approved a short-term measure giving members a chance to vote and hold committee meetings without traveling to Capitol Hill. Debate on the temporary rules change hit on much of the work of the Continuity of Government Commission, which last studied this issue in the aftermath of 9-11. For more on continuity of Congress in an emergency, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with a former member of that commission. He's now a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, Norm Ornstein. The first and most significant element of what we discussed and deliberated and the immediate need is the capacity for Congress to meet and act, debate, deliberate, and vote if only a handful of members can make it back to the Capitol in Washington or if none of them can. And we know that technology exists. You've got to have some security. Congress has been reluctant to do this. The Senate still refuses to do it. The House is poised to act in part because the Capitol physician just last week warned them not to come back that having so many people in close proximity, members, staff, Capitol Police, clerks, and others, was very dangerous to them, to their families, and to anybody else they came into contact with. And, of course, many members in that target area of vulnerability, being older and some having pre-existing conditions, the Senate and its majority leader, Mitch McConnell, ignored that and brought the Senate back because he wanted to do confirmation hearings on judges. The House did not, but they're back now, and I hope we're going to act in what is only a first step, one that involves proxy voting, but not genuine debate and deliberation remotely, or voting in a fashion where everybody can cast their own votes. That, I think, will be coming sometime down the road, and the House Rules Committee Chairman Jim McGovern is pledged to do that and to grapple with it. I'll mention one other thing that's also relevant, and that's presidential succession. Now, why is that relevant now? If a president is disabled or dies in office, we have a plan for succession. Some of it is in the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. Some of it is in the Presidential Succession Act of 1947. If President Trump, for example, came down with COVID and it was serious enough that he had to use a ventilator and be intubated, could not function as president, the vice president can step in and we have provisions in place for the president to resume his office when he's able. If both a president and vice president are no longer with us, the Presidential Succession Act kicks in, and right now that means that the Speaker of the House would be next in line, followed by the President pro tempore of the Senate, and then the Cabinet pretty much in order of the creation of their offices. But we don't have any provision in place if both the President and Vice President are incapacitated. The 25th Amendment thought about doing something in that area, but decided that it was so unlikely and it would complicate matters with a much more unwieldy amendment that they did not deal with it. And nobody at this point has come up with an answer for that. Looking back before the pandemic, just with what Congress was even looking at, there was a House Modernization Committee that was looking at not necessarily all of the issues that you just described, but some of them, and, and looking at the capacity for things like video conferencing. And even in those hearings, I think what we heard from folks like the chief administrative officer is just that they were having issues with the capacity of dealing with requests under normal circumstances. And so the question I just have for you is really more from a capacity standpoint. If Congress did have the will to see remote voting and remote committees and things of that nature, 
would they have the resources to get all 435 members connected virtually? One of the issues we have right now is a Congress that has really never come into the 21st century when it comes to state-of-the-art telecommunications or other Internet-related and communications-related technology. And they don't have the resources at this point to do it. Part of my frustration with how Congress has dealt with this is that going back many months when this pandemic first emerged, I wrote a piece in The Atlantic saying you've got to start preparing now. And that doesn't mean you just rush in and do a plan. What you want is to start to connect with technology experts. We have them at the Federal Communications Commission. We have them in the intelligence world and in the defense world. There was actually a mock hearing run by two former members, Brian Baird, whom I mentioned earlier, and a Republican that had as a witness David Petraeus. General Petraeus talked about how they did almost all of their sensitive business, the highest level of security, remotely when he was in Iraq and Afghanistan and dealing with his top uh, leadership there. So it exists, and it exists in the private sector as well. We know that Cisco and others have developed pretty secure meeting facilities for businesses that operate internationally. I'm very much concerned that Congress has not appropriated the money in its emergency plans so far to be able to come up with the right equipment so that everybody can be in a secure position. But having said that, there's so much that you can do using what we know already exists and off the shelf. And that includes two-factor authentication with cell phones, with FaceTime, with the more secure Zoom meetings and others that are pretty readily available. It's going to take some time to figure out the best way to do a meeting where you have 435 people potentially participating. I'm very sensitive to the idea that you have to protect uh, minority rights here, the minority party, but also the rank-and-file members in the majority and not have people cut off or unable to get in. And we do know now, any of us who've done Zoom meetings, that sometimes it just freezes, and that wouldn't be a great thing if you're voting on something that's particularly important at any given moment. So issues that need to be resolved, but... The fact that they didn't really begin to grapple with this until just a few weeks ago at least is not stopping them from taking the critical step now through the remainder of this Congress to create the capacity to do votes for critical business and to have oversight hearings uh, given the potential for terrible abuses and fraud that we're already seeing out there with the trillions of dollars of taxpayer money going out to businesses and no-bid contracts going out. Those things now, when the House votes on this plan, will at least be there if and more likely when we find extended periods where Congress simply cannot have its members coming back to meet, that it would be too dangerous or simply the transportation options won't be available. With all this being said, I am mindful that committees in the House and Senate have done these hybrid hearings, the idea that there are some members present physically in the Capitol, and there are likewise senators that are physically present, but there are also members that are virtually participating in the conference. There is certainly a lot of debate about the legality and the constitutionality of this, but I guess the question for you is... If members are already doing this, what's kind of the value proposition of members passing this vote and formally putting this on the book, so to speak? The most significant thing is you've got to have the capacity 
within the rules of the institution to be able to vote and pass significant legislation. And we know that there are emergency needs right now. The second most significant thing is you've got to have within the rules of committees, not just the ability to hold a hybrid hearing or even a remote hearing where you're just getting testimony. You're going to need to have the capacity to subpoena witnesses and most important, to mark up bills and do oversight. We have a lot of significant issues about the way the Trump administration has carried out the response to COVID-19 critical questions that affect directly the lives of thousands and thousands of Americans. If Congress can't function to maintain some capacity for oversight, the potential for malfeasance or inaction or bad things increases dramatically. And you can't just do that by the seat of your pants. You have to have formal procedures in place. If there are questions about the constitutionality of what the House is likely to do right now, questions that I think are pretty easily answered, that would be a very different matter if they did this in an ad hoc way and really had almost nobody on the floor and clearly in violation of the standing rules. Norm Ornstein, a former member of the Continuity of Government Commission, now a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.